spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. So first, he and his brothers carried their father's Jacob's their father Jacob's bones up. Then when Joseph was near death, he made his brothers promise that they would carry his bones up from Egypt and bury him in that same burial spot. 400 years. That's a long time to carry bones. I'm just saying. I, I know the guy who's in charge of like always having the bones. Do you have Joseph's bones? Yes, I got him. Okay, I'm good. But that 400 years, that's a long time. But uh, I imagine that this became a, this spot became a, a point of inspiration for hundreds of years uh, while the Jews were in Egypt and while wandering in the desert. You know, there was no temple at that time, uh, but there was that plot of land that came of that cave of Machpelah near Mamre in the field of Ephron, son of Zohar the Hittite. So what made it so inspiring though? Abraham was told, as you remember, we've gone through this, Abraham was told that he would be the father of a great nation. A father of a great nation. Yet they had, and they started of course, they had no people and they had no land to build this nation. So he and Sarah faithfully persevered and of course God gave them Isaac. And then came Jacob and so on. And that was a good start. It was slow but good. But after all, what's a nation without a homeland, a place to call your own, a place to build? Well, this piece of land was the beginning of the fulfillment of that promise, a promise that reverberated through every Israelite. But the inspirational value of that piece of land was not just that it was, hey, we have some land, but the fact that it was the beginning of the fulfillment of God's promises. I imagine Moses referring to it, and then Joshua, uh, when their trust uh, made the, the people's trust in God was fading as they went through hard times, whether in Egypt or in the desert or whatever. And they remember the cave where Abraham and, and Sarah buried right in the heart of the promised land. And remember, they were always going for the promised land. And I could see them saying, remember that. We have the spot. We own part of the promised land. We will get there. Remember, Abraham and Sarah, remember this land that God has provided God will provide more. And even Stephen, to show you how important it is, even in, in, uh, in Acts chapter 7, as Stephen uh, speaks before the Sanhedrin, he even mentions the tomb in a speech um, as he really talks through uh, and tries to, in a sense, convert them and gives his testimony. It, this land, this tomb became a building block and the foundation of the faith of Israel. But it speaks to a question that gets to the very heart of faith. Can God be trusted to fulfill his promises? Is God, is God powerful enough? Does he care enough? Prom Let's talk about promises for a second. You know, so for promises to mean something, they have to be connected to something that you want or something that you need. As a parent, I have avoided making promises as much as possible. And uh, this isn't parenting advice. Uh, I probably avoided that to a fault. Harrison would probably attest to it. Um, there was a lot of maybes and, and we'll see and your mom and I will have to talk about it and she would say dad and I would have to talk about it. So there's many ways to kind of avoid making a promise. Uh, when I did make a promise, it was, honestly, it was probably more like cutting a deal. Uh, that if you finish your homework by 8 p.m., you can watch some TV. Or, um, or of course, there was the phone. You know, kids these days, they probably get phones at two years old. But back in my day, you know, they didn't. And it was like a big thing, like promise when you get a phone. But then there was a promise, too, that w wouldn't really connect to anything that, hey, I promise I will make you waffles on Saturday. Any Saturday you want waffles, I'll make you Saturday. I mean, they took me up on that a lot. Yeah. 
And uh, but and then there's bigger promises that go beyond that. Like we promise, of course, even though they're unstated promises, we, we promise to take care of our children. Um, and then there is a stated promise that uh, if, if we're married, that we understand a, a lifelong wedding vow, uh, a lifelong commitment to love and faithfulness. But back to God's people. Here were God's people, and over time they grew to over a million people. Still outside of the promised land, not in the promised land. They were in the desert. Over a million people without a country of their own. In their mind, God's promise that you're going to a promised land. It had been about... Well, it's been a few hundred, about 400 years at that point um, since they left the beginnings of the promised land. So God's prom- what was God's promise? We looked at this in Genesis 17, um, a familiar refrain from God that we hear repeated um, throughout the Old Testament and mentioned in the New Testament. I will be your God and you will be my people. And so that's God's covenant promise. And this would have, this would have been resounding in their, or going back and forth in their head. But it's hard to imagine a million people. It's, it's hard to imagine just even us not having a country or a homeland. Maybe yeah. you've experienced that. I don't know. But think of how much you get out of, out of home. In some place you call home, you get security. You get identity. Um, you get all that from being in a home. But they still, before they could get the battle, before they could get to the promised land, they had to battle for the land. You know, inhabitants in the land were the Canaanites, the Girgashites, the Hittites. They were all there. And uh, they stood in the way of God's people claiming the, year, and claiming the land. So for 200 years, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob lived as strangers in the promised land you know, before they went to Egypt. Mm-hmm. And then 500 years, God's people were in Egypt and the desert, roughly 500 years, living as strangers. Wow. They took the promised land, and then after that, they took the promised land for a time, uh, but then there were times of exile and occupation. So let's look over to Hebrews chapter 11. Come on, Chris. Come on, Chris. You never want to be the last one to turn there when you're up here. That would be a bad sign. <laughs> Hebrews 11 verse 12. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. Um, if they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. So they, they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. And another version says they confessed that. They wanted to be people of that land, but they confessed that they were aliens and strangers there. But we can tell it's more, especially for them, it was, as they talk about earlier in the chapter, people of faith, you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It was more about more than just a piece of land. Their faith looked beyond that. Yeah. It said, no, they were aliens and strangers on earth. And they were looking for a better home, a heavenly yeah. one. So even at that time, it was even about more than the land. It was about the promise. It was about a heavenly <coughs> promised land. And the situation is the same for us today. Yeah. Think about the promises uh, that God has given us and that we have through Christ. There's many. But 
In Matthew 28, Jesus says, I will be with you to the very end of the age. Hebrews 13, 5. God is quoted even from the Old Testament. says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. That same promise, that's for us as well. That's right. And then in 1 Peter, you can just write it down, 1 Peter 2, verse 11. Peter says, dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. And then Peter said, and they knew, and this is for us. This is new covenant. This is we are aliens and strangers. We too are recipients and benefactors of God's promises. And we too, if we're disciples today and part of his kingdom, are strangers and aliens in the same way. So I didn't bring a newspaper up here. I figured some of the younger folk wouldn't know what that was. But it's, uh, I could also bring up my phone and look up different news sites or whatever. But think about what's in the newspaper. Think about what's on the news sites. And this isn't to be overly negative. But let's just be real here. What, what's going on in our world around us? Murders, abductions, robberies, hatred, racial prejudice, political turmoil. Who can be trusted in Washington? Who can be trusted in the media? This morning I opened the paper and some young girl was killed by a drunk driver who was about to graduate. There's a lot of sadness. There's a lot of, there, there's accidents. There's, there's a lot of bad stuff. Is this what you call home? Is this what you envision as a promised land? And it's not about the United States. I'm not, I'm not picking, up, picking on our country. It's about the world. There's poverty. There's hunger. There's war. There's disease. Is this home? Is this really a promised land? Today, if you are a disciple of Christ, like I said, you are a citizen of another kingdom. Preach it. Now, if that sounds like spiritual sci-fi, then the contrast between God's kingdom and the world may have faded a bit for you. By faith, what do you long for? Longing, some longing in this sense is good. Now, we're called to be grateful. We're called to be content and not complain. But still by faith, to long for something better. And God wants us to look forward to a heavenly home. In 2 Peter verse 3, Peter says, But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. This is something that even as we live, we look forward to. So we're content, but we're not complacent. And we adapt but we not adopt. And an example I have of that is, is that Gabrielle's family her, on her father's side is Italian. And uh, her grandparents came over from Italy. You know, they came through Ellis Island and everything like that. And they had, a, of course, a choice to make. When we come in, they settled in uh, kind of uh, western PA, eastern Ohio, little Italian area there. And they have a choice to make. Do we adopt the customs, you know, of the United States? Or do we keep our Italian customs? And at the time, they said... No, we're, we're here to be Americans. This is not a political statement. I'm just saying they say we're here to be Americans. And they did not speak Italian in the home, much to the chagrin of, of uh, Gabrielle, because he would have liked to have learned some Italian. Um, thank goodness they still cooked Italian food, though. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very thankful for that. And I got to, uh, got to have some of that sumptuous food myself. So, But they came in, and they said we are going to uh, – we're not only adapting, but we're adopting the customs here. And that's great. But for us, as disciples of another kingdom, we, we're here to adapt, but not to adopt what's around Preacher. us. Preacher. We're here to be in the world, but not of the world. That's right. 
So we know the promises to Abraham. Uh, we've heard that, you know, the father of many nations. And, you know, at the time, there were many gods available. He came from Haran, and there were pagan gods there, sun, moon, stars, all kinds of things. Um, so if God was going to show himself as the only true God, then, of course, he had to deliver on his promises, as we've been talking about. And it's, it's really the same for us today. Um, God promises, promises us an inheritance and calls us to live like citizens in a strange land. But we have to have something to base our, base our faith on. If God doesn't deliver on his promises, which he does, but if he doesn't, then why would we follow him? Yeah. But what, what is our proof? What is, what is our tomb, our cave of Machpelah, our piece of land? We have so much more than that. We have so much more than, than they had as we read about the Old Testament. The list could go on, but we have, fundamentally, we have God's word. We have God's word, the Old Testament, the New Testament, the apostles, the prophets, the gospels, the history, the story, the truth about Christ and his word, his teachings. We have the church. We are members of one body. Romans 12 says, in Christ, we who are many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. If you're a part of this church, you understand how this is a microcosm of God's kingdom. What happens here? We're not perfect. I'm not saying that. But it's different than what's out there. Yeah. It's not that we're better, but we have Christ. And it is different. And we could go on about that, about how amazing this church is because of Christ. We come from all walks of life, and we, we follow his, we all share the same word of God, and we follow it, and it makes a difference in our relationships, and how we live, and in, uh, in our parenting, in our marriage, and our care and our love for other people, and how we serve all of those things. Then we have His Holy Spirit. We have God's Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 22 says, He set His seal of ownership on us and put His Spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Yeah. And then we have not just the tomb, but we have the empty tomb. Amen. In 1 Corinthians 15, uh, starting in verse 54, it says, Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's right. We have the empty tomb. This is more than just that piece of land, more than that cave, more than that tomb that the ancestors went to. We have an empty tomb. What does this empty tomb tell us? Why is this so important to us? Because it proves to us that there are no limits to what God can do. Yeah. He overcomes death. There's no limits to what he can do. And he can do for us. There's no limit to his love for us. Because he gave up Christ for us. What more can he give up? That shows us there are no limits to what God can do and what he will do for us. And, there's, and it guarantees us that we there is an inheritance. And we receive a lot of great things here even as Christians uh, but ultimately you know we don't live just for this we live for an inheritance as well yeah. that's right and through the because of the tomb we know that God is dependable that he will come through yeah. that yeah. he does come through on his promises Preacher. so these promises are for you as well they're for us so what does it take to qualify what does it take to qualify for these great promises this inheritance or whatever well, let's look at some people that God used powerfully in the Bible. So, we know he used Abraham. Abraham, 
It's a lot of good things, but we're going to say a few bad things here. Um, Abraham, he lied and put his wife at risk to protect himself. Not once, but twice. Isaac did the same thing, followed in the footsteps. Uh, Jacob was a deceiver. Joseph was abused as a child. Moses was a murderer and had a significant speech problem. Gideon was fearful. Samson was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. David was a murderer. Jonah ran from God. The Samaritan woman at the well had five failed marriages. Peter denied Christ three times and had other social faults. The disciples fell asleep when Jesus needed them most at the night of his betrayal. And Paul killed Christians. And this speaks more, not so much to the people, but this is, this is about God. What yeah, an amazing yeah. God that we have. That he would choose them and he would choose us. Flawed individuals. So even though we talk about heroes of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, don't forget these people had faults. And in, in, many, in, in many senses, they are no different than us. They're flawed individuals. But God's love and his forgiveness are amazing. That hasn't changed over the years. God has an inheritance for you. You need only to seek him and believe in the victory through Christ. And if you haven't yet made Jesus Lord, answer his call. Ask someone, as it was mentioned in the welcome, ask someone to study the Bible. For those of us who are part of his kingdom, and we've already made that decision, what are we to do? Well, we're to live as strangers and aliens. So what does that mean? Does that mean lock ourselves up in a doomsday bunker and wait for the rapture, as they like to say? No. Matthew 28 tells us what we should do. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. We need to stake our claim where we are, wherever we're at. Claim your piece of land. We're ambassadors. 2 Corinthians 5, Paul tells us that. He says that we're ambassadors for him. Show the locals how it's done. Show them, show them what we have. Show them, give them uh, an idea, a sense of what is available out there. My office at work, it's a place of respite. When people come in, they don't, they stop cursing when they come into my office. And they apologize for cursing. They do that outside. But in my office, it's, it's a place of respite. It's a place they can come and maybe escape some of that. Our homes, our homes should be embassies. Uh, this summer as a church, we're going to focus a lot on having people come over. And we want to showcase, be an embassy, be an ambassador. Yeah. Your home is your embassy. is where you can show, showcase God. Yeah. You can showcase the church and showcase His Word. And again, it's not about being perfect. Sometimes people say, I just don't know if I'm, maybe my house isn't clean enough, or I'm not good enough, or whatever. It's not about that. There are people at work that I just talked about that in some areas of their life, they have more goodness than I do. But... But a big difference is I have Christ. Yes. But we have to show our homes. And we have to, same thing with our kids. This is where we have to teach our kids. And I know we're doing that. We teach our kids and have family devotionals and all that. And you know, the, we stand out from the world. If you uh, got to witness the uh, prom that happened a couple of weeks ago, that's a great example. It's, uh, it's just a great sight, you know, <clears throat> when, you see the, when you see the kids and they have 
pure relationships. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's just, it's amazing. Yeah. Turn back to the scripture. Uh, Hebrews 18. On, uh, Hebrews 8. I don't think there's any. T- Hebrews 8 says, uh, This is a covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. That's right. The, the fact is, God can be trusted to follow through on his promises. Yes. The Israelites took courage from the piece of land that Abraham purchased for Sarah's tomb. And this helped them envision being in the promised land. But we too need to rally our faith as we consider not the tomb of Sarah, but the empty tomb of Christ. And realize that in Christ, there are no limits to his promises. And there's no chance that he won't come through. God is our God and we are his people. And let's live like people who know we have an inheritance coming.